if I showed you my notes, I have like about 300 scriptures and all this stuff that, and it's, it's about the gospel. And I want to talk to you today about the gospel, not from the perspective of doctrine and theology, but the gospel from the perspective of hearing it. And I think the reason I had so many scriptures is the whole darn Bible is the gospel. It's every place. And then I had a thought about a certain set of scriptures, and I thought, Lord, that's what I'm going to speak to on Sunday. I'm going to share the gospel through this set of scriptures, and that's what I'm going to do right now. But I want you to hear it with the ear like you're hearing it and receiving it, but because you're going you're gonna to share it with somebody. And it's a beautiful story of the gospel that I'm going to read to you today, and I'm just going to expound upon it a little bit, and then I'll get you out of here so you can come back if you can come back. Okay, Luke 15, 11 through 24. This is, the, this is the, um, the parable of what's called the prodigal son. It's in, a, it's in a sequence of parables that Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so I'm going to read it to you, and then I'm going to go back to the beginning, and I'm just going to open it up a little bit. And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving him anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf, fattened calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. For he was lost and has been found and they began to celebrate. So here's this father. He's got some sort of a substantial estate. He's got two sons. For the purposes of today, there's more to this parable that speaks to the older son. It, that's not part of today's message. So it, it's not that I forgot that there was a, there's more. It's just not for today's message. He's got these two sons. And, and the younger son, literally, when he asks for his portion of, his, of the father's estate while the father is still alive, it's like saying, I wish you were dead. It's more than just... I'm ready to do some new phase of my life. I wish you were dead. Give me what would be mine if you were dead. I'm leaving. Okay. Go back to the beginning. And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. The parable is a picture. Okay. Let me lay out the characters. The father in the parable is Father God. Okay. 
he, he's represented. God is represented by this, by this man's father. The younger son is me, and he's you. He's all of mankind. There isn't a single, well, I don't know, maybe Enoch. Generally, there isn't a single person that's ever lived on this planet or ever will live on this planet that isn't represented in the younger son in the parable. And the older son is important to the story, but not to the part of the story that I want you you to get today, okay? All right, so a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them, and not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. His father's house was awesome. Everything he needed or would ever need was waiting for him, was right there. It was prepared for him in his father's house. But mankind, all of us in our fallen nature, always see the grass greener on the other side. It's always better someplace else. Flesh always wants something other than what it has. Scripture says, um, the Apostle Paul, what is it? If, if I have clothes to wear and a roof over my head, I shall be content. That, that I only need the most basic things to find contentment. But the deceiver wants you always to be discontented, always looking with eyes. I, I heard somebody say the other day that part of the problem we have in our culture, and this wasn't in my thoughts for the sermon, so give me just a minute to remember it, that we were never designed to see with our eyes, but to see through our eyes. You know how profound that is? See, we look with our eyes and our eyes get tickled by the things of the world. They get tickled by the thoughts that if I just had my portion of my father's estate now, I could go way out, out there and I could jo- enjoy all the things that I see with my eyes. But the eyes were designed to see through, not with. So that when you see uh, through your eyes, what you see with your eyes lands on your conscience. And then you can evaluate based upon what you know to be good and true and right, whether or not you belong in your father's house or you should lust after these things that are outside of your father's house. It says that the father divided his wealth between them and and not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. There's the journey out. And for some people, there's the journey back. In the context of the gospel, the journey out is self. The journey out is sin. The journey out is passions for things that aren't truly good. There's a road. Maybe even you can consider it the wide road that leads to destruction. There's a journey out, and for some people, there's a journey back. For everybody, there's the opportunity for a journey back. But some don't make the turn. The journey out is all about self. It's all about pride. It's all about arrogance. It's all about what I want, what I want, what I want. I'm the center of that, that way out. But it's, it's led with deception. Then we go on. And, and there he squandered his estate. So he took what the father had given him. He, the father honored his request, gave him his portion of the estate. He went off and he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. The destination always looks like freedom. It always looks like freedom. God's laws, God's commands, God's precepts for us 
are so that we can have freedom, not to bind us from freedom. I, I heard that preached so many times and it never made any sense to me. How can offense ever keep me from or, or allow me to be free? And I heard Ravi Zacharias say in one of his sermons, he said, before you take down any fence, ask the question why it was put up in the first place. See, there may have been a fence around the father's house. He wanted to be on the other side of the fence because freedom was on the other side of the fence. He could do whatever he wanted on the other side of the fence, but freedom was on the inside of the fence because within his father's house were everything that he needed and nothing that would harm him. The younger son had a perception that was built in deception that led him out of his father's house to this other land. What he found was that what he wanted left him wanting. You understand? I promise you, I promise you anything that you want outside of what's God's will for your life will leave you wanting. You'll get it and you'll not be satisfied. And, and I'm, I'm trying to think of things I can say that aren't horrible things. Um, think about drugs. Think about alcohol. Think about immoral kind of stuff. You're telling me I can't do this, but I want to do this. I'm telling you, if God says you shouldn't do it, you shouldn't do it. Because at the end of doing it is not going to be satisfaction. At the end of doing it is going to be, man, if I only had the pods that the pigs are eating, at least I'd have something to eat. It leaves you unsatisfied. Okay. Reading on, but when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and he came to his father. See, this is the point where the gospel actually starts. The rest is just the way it is. This is the point where the gospel actually starts. The realization that the world isn't life. It's just not. Life is in Jesus Christ. Life is in the Father's house, under his rule, doing what he says because he created us and he knows what's best for us. The gospel coming to your senses is the fruit of the drawing of the Father. See, there's an anointing that happens. You can't even do it. None of us would make the turn without the drawing of the father. Now, the parable doesn't specifically say this. It's a, it's a picture story. But for every person that's lost, that hasn't actually made that turn, or maybe made the turn and then made another turn and went back out again because they bought the deception a second time, there's a drawing from the father back. There's an anointing from heaven that touches a person to cause them to even desire to make the turn, to even recognize, to even be able to come to their senses and realize that this isn't life. It never ends well, not for anybody. It never ends well. And the Father's house is the bread of life. The way out is self, but the way back is Jesus. Remember I said there's a way out and there's a way back? There's only one way back. Everybody's out. By virtue of having been conceived, you were out. There's only one way back. It's Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father but through me. Every one of us is in that other nation unless we turn. See, there, that, that's that word that you hear all the time in Bible speak, repentance. 
It's coming to your senses. It's recognizing that where you're at isn't life, that where you came from, where you could go back is life, but the only way back is Jesus. And the only way to start back is to turn. The gospel is that we would turn, that somebody would understand that there's a life that's different than this life, but it requires a turn. That's repentance. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Here's more of the deception. The devil wants you to think when you're out in the world that God's mad at you, that he can't love you in the world. Absolute opposite is true. The way back to the father is not that the father is going to come get you and drag you back. The father did his part. He sent his son, Jesus, such that you could have a way back. He sent the anointing that if you would respond to it, you could come back. The way back is Jesus. And the father waits with open arms. The minute that that boy turned, the minute that I turned, that you turned, if you haven't, that you do turn, he opens his eyes. And as soon as he can see you, he's not, God doesn't stand like this. He's like, oh, you know, I knew you'd finally come to your senses. You've got to be the stupid. Come here, 10 more lashes before you come into my house. It's not like that. He's so compassionate. He's so full of love that if you'll just make the turn, he runs to you. He runs to you. But you've got to make the turn. Well, why wouldn't he just run, come get me? I don't know. I'm not God. I didn't set this up. But he's the one that has heaven. He's the one that created us. He's the one that wants us back. And he's not waiting with an angry heart. He's waiting with a broken heart that someone would make the turn. See, this is the gospel. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The benefits of the gospel, the the benefits of the gospel, what are they? They're that you can be back in the house of your father again. But it requires that you understand that you took yourself out of the house. What he does, he confesses, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I'm not worthy to be your son. Well, I guess God will decide your worth, won't he? In your sin, he can't let you be in his house. There's an important part that's still coming. But once we turn and once we confess, if we really understood, and and we have because many of us have turned and confessed, if we really understood, then we find out exactly the truth of how he feels about us. It's not anger, but it's love and compassion and desire that's waiting for us when we make the turn. So the boy says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found again. And they began to celebrate. The end of this parable that speaks to the kingdom, that speaks to the heart of the father for every lost soul is celebration. The two parables that happened before it, there's the the lost coin and the lost sheep. Listen to how they end. Rejoice with me for I have found my sheep which was lost. See, the sheep is that kid. He's the younger son. He's the one that went off and squandered. He's the one that said, I wish you were dead so I could have my piece of the estate. 
And this is what happens. Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. The other one ends like this. Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels and God over one sinner who repents. What's the key to the gospel? One sinner who repents. That's it. Make the big turn. Now, it's interesting. When the son said, I'm not worthy to be in your sight, he's going back. He's hoping, listen, just let me, just let me eat with the pigs. Let me be a slave on your farm, dad. And dad doesn't even hear what he says. He's like, go get a robe for him. Sandals for his feet and a ring for his finger. And the thing that I want you to get, and, and you probably already know this because I, I harp on this a lot, is I'm going to tell the people at the funeral today, he could never be good enough have the righteousness that's required to be with God. When he turned and he repented, he shed his stained old nasty garment that, that he, he filthied up when he left his father's house. Think of, think of your, your, you've got a robe and, and, and your sin and your drugs and your, your, your meanness and whatever those things might be. It's a stain on your garment. And you think, oh, man, I want to go back to my father's house. And you scrub and you scrub because you try to be so good. And you try to do everything good. But there's no scrubbing that gets the stain out. The stain is permanent. It's impossible. You think, but I just had one sin. Another parable talks about a guy who comes to this, this wedding feast, but he doesn't have wedding clothes on. You know, you know what he doesn't have? He's got a stain on his garment. You can't come with a stain on your garment. You can't good the stain out. You can't scrub. You can't pray. You can't cry. You can't repent, wish the stain out. You've got to have a new robe. And when Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life, and when Jesus submitted himself to die in the humiliation, in the pain, in the spiritual torment that he did, what he made available was his robe to be my robe, his robe to be your robe. When that kid turned around and came home, father didn't say you can't come into my house in that dirty robe he could care less about that robe robe him in my son's righteousness because he's my son he was dead and now he's found and that's the gospel that's it that's the whole thing everybody's lost every single person oh don't tell me it's like hey listen i was worse than you probably in some ways but it doesn't matter if if i had any little teeny weeny stain in my robe i'm out i can't be in my father's house I chose it, not him. I chose it. And even with Jesus' robe, this is what's so awesome. With Jesus' robe, I can't stain it. It's impossible for me to stain his robe. It's like Teflon robe. Think about it. Can a Christian, can you make the turn? Can you be robed in the righteousness of Christ? If the bus hit you today, would you go to heaven if you had any sins? Can you sin and be a Christian? You can. Why? Because you can't stay in his robe. When God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ on you. Well, does that mean it's okay for me to sin once I have his robe? No, you don't want to get his robe dirty. You can't, but you don't want to live that way. And Holy Spirit will cause you not to want to live that way. But the point is, God even made provision for us if we sin after we've put on his garment, that we confess it. And if we confess it, he's righteous and thank you. And in another word, that's either faithful or just to forgive us our sin. And then the blood of his son, Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That's the gospel. 
When you share the gospel with somebody, tell them the story. Tell them your story. Tell them the world story. You don't have to remember any scriptures. You don't have to recite scriptures to share the gospel. You have to tell them that you were, you were dead and now you're not dead. That everybody's going to live forever. Not this tent. Everybody's going to get a new tent. It's either going to get... Now, the, the burned up in heaven part is just kind of my thought. The, the forever in heaven part is scripture. The spirit and the soul are going to live forever. forever, Either in the glorious joy of the Father's house or in the never-ending torment of hell. The gospel is that you could choose. You're not damned to the bad one. You have the opportunity for the good one. Amen? Father God, I preach this to myself as much as I preach this to any person in this room because I have allowed the fear of man to stop me from being bold to share with people what Jesus did. Heaven forbid, heaven forbid that I get there and and you welcome me in, but you say, Pat, look at these faces were all for you and I had to send somebody else. Lord, I pray for boldness in this house. I pray for boldness in each and every one of us. I pray for a brokenness such a brokenness for lost people, so much that we would understand your love and we would appreciate your sacrifice that we would reach out with the gospel, that we would make conversation, that we would trust, as your word says, that we don't even have to know the words that you'll give them to us when the time has come. I pray many, 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 many souls in your kingdom, Lord, and and each and every one of us as the mechanism that you use to bring them in. I thank you. And I praise you in Jesus' name, amen.